What you doing? I'm running out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. You are Locked On Packers, your daily podcast on the Green Bay Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are Locked On Packers. Hello, this is Bill Huber, the publisher of PackerReport.com, part of the Scout.com network, which brings you some of the best NFL and college football coverage that you will find anywhere. Thank you, as always, for listening and making the Locked On Network the fastest-growing Podcast Network in the World. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes and Android app. I'm here Monday through Friday mornings as the only daily podcaster, well, at least the only one who covers the team every day. So please subscribe and encourage your friends to listen. And you know what? If you have an airplane, maybe pull a banner behind it and fly it over Lambeau Field on Sunday and let the world know to check out the, uh, the Lockdown Network. With that, I'm with the show. Second down will be the state of the defense. Third down, the direction of the offense. And fourth down, some of your questions. But first, it's first down, and you look at the injuries coming out of Sunday's game at Atlanta. And that was one hell of an inactive list for Sunday's game against the Falcons. Wide receiver Randall Cobb with a hamstring. Cornerback Demarius Randall, uh, groin surgery. Cornerback Quinton Rollins with a groin injury. Running back James Sirks with knee surgery. Outside, Clay, outside linebacker Clay Matthews with a hamstring injury. Wide receiver Ty Montgomery, we'll, we'll get into him in just a second, and tight end Jared Cook with a high ankle sprain. Uh, to Montgomery, my good friend over at ESPN, Rob Damoski, reported before Sunday's game that Montgomery was inactive because there was blood in his urine. Um, as Montgomery told us yesterday at his locker, it's because he had sickle cell trait, which is something that he knew about dating to his time over at Stanford, but it was the first time that some of these symptoms cropped up, and the, and the blood in the urine is obviously the Look, it's, it's a scary thing, right? I mean, he said he's not scared, but I, you know, I, I wouldn't think any athlete would ever admit to being scared about anything. I mean, just put yourself in the guy's shoes. shoes though. I mean, you go to the bathroom and it's not something that you expect to see. I'm going to read to you from hematology.org, which is the website of the American Society of Hematology. Um, because I, I didn't know a darn thing about sickle cell trade. And, and if you've been read like my story or the, or the story from Rob or anyone else, you, you might not know a whole lot about it says, sickle cell trait is an inherited blood disorder that affects 1 to 3 million Americans and 8 to 10% of African Americans. Unlike sickle cell disease, a serious illness in which patients have two genes that cause the production of abnormal hemoglobin, individuals with sickle cell trait carry only one defective gene and typically live normal lives. And here's the, the important part here. Rarely, extreme conditions such as severe dehydration and high-intensity physical activity can lead to serious health issues, including sudden death for individuals with sickle cell trait. Um, hello, he's an athlete, right? And you know, he, he, one of the things that he mentioned is he needs to stay on top of what he puts in his body and his hydration as, as a way to combat that. Um, and part of, the, part of the signs and symptoms for sickle cell, again, I'm going to read from hematology here. Most people with sickle cell trait have no symptoms will not have any health complications. Occasionally, people with sickle cell trait can have blood in their urine. Under extreme conditions such as high altitude, 
severe dehydration, or very high intensity physical activity, red cells can become deformed or sickled. Complications include muscle breakdown, reduced blood supply to the spleen, or increased pressure in the eye following eye injuries. Finally, a very rare form of kidney cancer has been associated with sickle cell trait. So that's what Montgomery is looking at here. Again, what he said is with with, with proper hydration and nutrition that he's going to be fine. As Montgomery told us yesterday, to be honest, it wasn't really scary. I don't know. It's the life I live, the game we play. Sometimes things happen. Um, On Monday, I guess it was, yeah, Monday's uh, Mike McCarthy's midday Monday news conference. He said that Montgomery wanted to play on Sunday, but he and the training staff took the high side of caution to use one of his favorite phrases and deactivated Montgomery for the game. Um, Montgomery says there's no long-term risk here as long as he takes care of himself. He says, I don't see any. It doesn't concern me. Like I said, a lot of people have sickle cell trait, and some of them don't even know, and not, every, not, and not everybody experiences symptoms of it. I'm not concerned about anything. At tight end, uh, Jared Cook, the high ankle sprain, uh, McCarthy said that Cook made a lot of progress last week. Uh, would, not go so, would not go so far as to say that, uh, that Cook will be ready to at least start practicing this week. And a roster move yesterday... The Packers cut Niall Davis 13 days after acquiring him in a trade with the Chiefs for a conditional seventh round pick. Uh, those conditions have not been met for that trade, so the Packers will get that pick back. So it, basically, the Packers got free Niall Davis for, for two weeks, and he contributed seven seven touches on offense in, in nine yards. So um, I don't think we'll be talking about Niall Davis for the Packers Hall of Fame in five years. The interesting thing here is, is now what a running back, though. I talked to a source about Starks last night, and he said, quote, it sounds pretty fast for James to be back. So they, they did not make this move because Starks is ready to come back following that knee surgery. So at this point, they've got Don Jackson, who hasn't done a whole lot in his two games. And then it's the receivers, Ty Montgomery and Randall Cobb, who, of course, <laughs> neither, neither of those guys played on Sunday. So there, there is, there obviously, there, there is a, a roster spot here. They could always go go out and get a guy, or maybe they bring in a corner, or, or, or they, ha- they haven't brought in a corner to this point, so I, I'm assuming they're not going to do that, or there's always uh, activating Corey Lindsley off the pup list. Uh, he's practiced for two weeks um, following that hamstring injury. Um, by rule, the Packers have three weeks to make a move, so they'd have to, I believe he practiced on that Tuesday of, the, of that short week heading into the Thursday game against the Bears. I think he practiced on Tuesday. So that's when that 21-day clock starts. So the Packers have until a week from today, as I talk to you, to make a move on Lindsley. So, you know, in theory, they could just keep that roster spot open for Lindsley for another week. I don't know. It doesn't seem like a whole lot of sense, though. I mean, if you're going to do that, I mean, you might as well just keep Nile Davis for another week. So, you know, as I, as I pointed out to someone... Your offense, your best offense might very well be throwing the ball. But if you're winning the game with two minutes to go and you need to run out the clock, you sure as heck would like to have you know a, a natural running back back there. So the we'll see if there's another move to be made. But as I talk to you here on Tuesday morning at uh, 6 o'clock Central, nothing reporting there's an empty roster spot. If you want to watch the Packers at Lambeau Field, 
This week is your chance since the Packers host the Colts after this is a three-game road trip. You want to go to the game? Check out SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to find tickets for the games you want to see up close and in person this season. There's nothing like being at Lambeau Field for the biggest plays, and SeatGeek makes it easier than ever to get the seats that you want. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats for this weekend or any other game of the season. With SeatGeek, you always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek price compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites. Prices can vary depending on where you shop, but SeatGeek will always find you the lowest price available. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals to fit your budget. Plus, every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee. Best yet, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. How do you do that? First, download the SeatGeek app. Then, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Then enter my promo code, L-O-Packers. That's L for locked, O for on, Packers. And then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So don't then so download the SeatGeek app today and enter the promo code L-O-Packers. Before we get the second down, I love Halloween. I woke up this morning, made a cup of coffee, and I can see this because my kids don't listen to the podcast. They're four and six. They get all there's all this candy sitting around. It's great. So breakfast of champions here. We got a cup of coffee and a Reese's peanut butter cup. Great stuff. All right, on to second down. Maybe the Packers defense needs some peanut butter cups eh? after giving up 33 points against the Falcons on Sunday. They did some good things. First of all, they stopped the run pretty well without, without using an extra safety in the box. You, you know, if you take out Teron Ward's 26-yard run on a, and uh, Devontae Freeman's 17-yard run, the Falcons had 17 carries for 47 yards the rest of the game. Now, obviously, obviously all the runs count. I'm, I'm not discounting those. But on a play-to-play basis, and once again, the Packers really doing a great job against the run. Number two, Julio Jones is the best wide receiver on earth at this point. Three catches, 29 yards, and I realized that he was banged up with a with an either an ankle injury or a knee injury. So, look, I, I'm not blind to that fact, but you know, the Packers did a good job against him. And once again, Ladarius Gunter, who a lot of you guys, <laughs> a lot of you guys wanted to cut. After the Cowboys game, and I, and I told everyone, I told you, I told people on email and on Twitter, did you not watch the Giants game where he shut down Beckham Jr. and Victor Cruz? Well, according to Pro Football Focus, who gives us a bunch of their stuff um, for publication over at PackerReport.com, um, Gunter uh, targeted six times for the Falcons, three catches, 30 yards. It was three for nine against Elshon Jeffrey the week before. So, you know, Julio Jones, the best receiver. Elshon Jeffrey, one of the best receivers, and, and, and Gunterson, Gunter did a great job against those guys. Um, here's Dom Capers from yesterday. Dom, when I asked about Gunter, I think Gunter's a typical young guy that the more he plays, the more confidence he gets, the better he gets. At that position, there's going to be a few bumps in the road that just the way it is in the NFL with these people, you're going out there and lining up against every week. But I thought for the most part, Julio Jones didn't end up being, didn't end up being the issue in the game. And one other positive the Falcons entered Sunday's game ranked number one in the NFL with 21 
passing plays of 25 yards. Falcons had only one, and that was the, the long touchdown against Dimitri Goodson early in the game. But, the big but here, the Packers just couldn't close the door against the Falcons, as, as, and that was what, what bothered Capers, that, that and the lack of turnovers, which ends, ends up being sort of related here. Uh, as Capers said, the thing that we've got to do is we've got to find a way to close people out. Part of that comes with just making our plays. And you saw that in that last on that last drive where Gunter had a chance for an interception. Although I think I think it looked closer than it was um, when Fox had that end zone view of, of that play. The ball got to Sanu's hands just before Gunter got to the ball. So it's not like Gunter dropped an interception there. Um, it was in Sanu's hands, and Gunter broke it up. It would have been a really, really, really good interception to make a play in that. So. And I don't think it was too close to interception, but you did see later where when the Falcons got closer, when they, I think they got, I think they were in the red zone or pretty darn close to the red zone, where uh, Matt Ryan threw the ball to Jones and Gunter had good coverage and the ball got knocked around a few times and the ball eventually winds up hitting Clinton Dix in the hands, but he couldn't make the play. And then the pass rush, I mean, there was just absolutely no pass rush throughout the game. And they, they did have two sacks basically on one series. But no pass rush at all. I mean, that last drive, and I broke this down at PackerReport.com. I went through every single play of that 11-play touchdown drive, and it was just so easy. I mean, the Falcons didn't make any plays at all on that drive. I mean, other than the, the touchdown pass to Sanu, it looks like he made a good road adjustment, noticing that the safeties are completely out of the play. I mean, the, the, it was easy. I mean, it was Ryan had all day in the pocket, and there were guys wide open. I mean, they just could not cover. I mean, t- time and again, the, pa- the Falcons lined up um, Sanu and Julio Jones on the same side of the formation and frequently, basically, either in, in stacked formations or, or tight little groups. And the Packers just had no answers for it, whether it was, you know, the occasional sort of kind of a pick play or, you know, them just, or the Falcons just getting lost out of those little bunches. I mean, they just had no answers for it. So I asked Tom Capers yesterday, why didn't you blitz? And I, and I, I know the answer to the question. I mean, it's, it's hard to blitz when you're playing three backup cornerbacks and you need all the help you can get in the secondary. I mean, it's, yeah. And, you know, Matt, Matt Ryan, he didn't throw the ball deep. It was a lot of, a lot of quick-hitting stuff. It was a whole bunch of seven-step drops. So if you're going to blitz a quick-hitting passing attack, I mean, you really just... Blitzing for the sake of blitzing, really. So, I mean, I understand why I didn't blitz. So, I, <laughs> I asked Capers, why didn't you blitz anyway? And he laughs for like five seconds at the, at, the, at the mere question there. He says, for 30 years, I've been known as a blitz guy, and I, and I would love to blitz more. Right now, I don't know if that's the right thing to do. We can do it, but you sit down and you watch some of the tape on these guys, and Julio Jones is catching 300 yards of passes when you're locked up in one-on-one situations. Again, I think that the blitz, just a blitz. Obviously, we didn't get Matt Ryan out of his rhythm, but it's a double-edged sword. We certainly blitzed more in the past, more than we have here the last two or three weeks. And he's right. And again, I understand his decision not to blitz. But that last game, it was just, you know, it, I, I remember I was, I was a kid watching a baseball game a long time ago, and Vince Scully was NBC's broadcaster for the weekend games. And I don't, I don't know who was playing, but the team 
hit a big comeback or a big rally or whatever. It was on a whole bunch of just cheap hits, bloop singles, uh, Texas leaguers, you know, little flares that found a hole in the defense. And Vin Scully said it's being like eaten alive by mosquitoes. And I, that was just the greatest phrase ever. And I, I don't know if the Falcons' offense is quite to that extent, where it was like you know being eaten alive by mosquitoes with, with a bunch of short stuff. But it was a lot of short stuff and a lot of easy stuff. And you'd like to see the Packers try something. Because what they were doing wasn't working. And Matt Ryan made that game-winning touchdown drive just way too easy. An interesting question here. And I didn't—I I never thought to ask McCarthy about it on Monday. I, I will do it on Wednesday. Is Was there any thought to letting the Falcons score a touchdown? I did a radio interview yesterday with uh, Marcus Paff from Appleton. And he, he asked me that question. It's a great question. Do you, do you let the Falcons score when, it, when it's pretty apparent by the time they get down to the 15, 20-yard line? That you know what, these guys might score. Oh, these guys are probably headed for a touchdown. Do you let them score or not? Boy, it's awful hard to give just flat out give up a touchdown. But it's an interesting question. Obviously, they, you know, Falcons not only scored a touchdown, but they took most of the time off the clock, and the Packers really had no prayer to, to come back and win that game. So cl- clearly, Green Bay's got to get better on defense. And you think getting Quinton Rollins back at some point would help. But. Man, they, they've, they've got some issues, and you did, at this point, I mean, look at the quarterbacks coming up. I mean, we, and we've gone over this a lot of times on this show, but look at the quarterbacks. You've got, this week is Andrew Luck. Then you got Marcus Mariota from Tennessee, who's playing very well. And I forget if it's Washington and Philadelphia or Philadelphia and Washington. makes no difference. Uh, Washington's got Kirk Cousins, who's having another huge year. And Philadelphia's got Carson Wentz, the impressive rookie. And then it's then you get a, a quote unquote quarterback bye week with with Brock Eisel or the Texans, but then it's Russell Wilson. So you got a whole bunch of great quarterbacks. And then it's uh, Cutler, Stafford, and Bradford to, to end the season. So it's a bunch of great quarterbacks, and they've got to get this pass defense fixed. Getting Goodson back, I mean not Goodson, geez Louise. <laughs> getting Rollins back, and therefore playing less of Goodson, I think, will help you. And then you know, hopefully Randall can come back and help. Or maybe even Sam Shields is the guy they bring back off of IR rather than Eddie Lacy. But you hope the injured guys can make a difference here because you know, Gunter's played well. But you know Hyde has his issues in the slot and not really per se against Atlanta. I mean, he played pretty well in that game. But I mean, they, the Falcons won at Goodson a lot and, and I mean, Sanu just torched him a lot. So they got to get that secondary tightened up somehow. On a third down, and that's the state of the offense. And just who are the Packers on offense? Well, we know who they are right now, right? And who they're going to be for at least another week. They're a spread-the-field team that's going to basically get by with almost no pretense for, of a running game. And they're going to put the hands and ball in the hands of Aaron Rodgers and and his pass catchers and try to win a football game. And I mean, that'll be the plan against the Colts on Sunday, too. Atlanta entered that game right near the bottom of the NFL in passing defense. Well, the Colts are 31st in totally passing yards allowed and 25th in passing yards per attempt. So it's pretty clear that Green Bay will, will just kind of do the same thing against the Colts and let Rodgers try to outduel Andrew Luck. We'll see if this can go on, go forward here. Ten, I'm talking yards per attempt here. Next week is Tennessee in their 20th. Then it's Washington. I just, I just looked this up. It's Washington in their 18th in yards per attempt. Philadelphia's 5th. Houston 8th. Seattle ninth, so maybe you can play this style of offense 
against the Atlantas of the Bears of the world and the Atlantas of the world and the Colts of the world. It'll be interesting to see if they can play this kind of defense or if they'll even try to play this kind of defense or play this kind of offense, excuse me, against better defenses that are coming up. You know, ask Edgar, ask Edgar actually, this is uh, Tom Silverstein asked Edgar Bennett about the who are you question on offense. And Edgar Bennett said, well, game plan this week, every week is a little bit different from a personnel standpoint. A lot goes into it, but the key ultimately is to be fundamentally sound and execute. Those are some things we emphasize every week. We want to make sure we're fundamentally sound. We go out and execute. And of course, that's his, that's Edgar's answer to basically every question is execution. And, and it's, it's tiresome as a reporter to get that. But I mean, it is true, right? And I, I've always maintained that players win games. Coaching is great, but players win games because players have to execute what it's called. And they have to execute the blocks and execute the fundamentals and execute what's called. So I hate Edgar Benner's hand. He's like the nicest man on earth, probably. I, I, you know, he's the kind of guy you love to go and have a beer with. But yeah, it's not much there for a reporter. But I mean, he is right. I mean, they, they got to execute what's called. What's interesting, though, what is this offense going to be in the long run? I mean, these guys talk, you know, Mike McCarthy, Aaron Rodgers, everybody talks about building your identity. But we know what their identity is. Well, we knew what it was entering the season. You know, Mike McCarthy wanted to run the ball. He wanted to be balanced. He wanted to get a, a certain number of attempts in a running game. He wanted to win time of possession. And then, of course, your running backs get hurt, and all that stuff goes out the window. So, at this point, your identity is you are a spread. The f- you've had to you've had to adjust on the fly here to be what they are now, which is of course throwing the ball on just about every down and, and mix in some draw plays. But what what's the few? What, I mean, what what are these guys going to be in three weeks? Once presumably James Starks gets healthy, and what are they going to be in you know mid December when they can get Eddie Lacy back from IR if they, if they choose? I'm here talking the last, what, two or three games of the year. Are they going to have to morph this offense back into a, if not run first unit, a a team that runs the ball and and wants to be balanced and all that? It's it's an interesting thing. And for all the talk about identity, does any of it matter? I don't know. I I honestly don't know the the answer to that question. I, I don't know if any of this stuff matters. And do you really need to know an identity in December? Or can you, once again, figure it on the fly? This is Green Bay. And you're going to have to, you know, chances are you're going to have to go on the road and, and play in bad weather in the playoffs. I mean, you think you are, in, unless you go in the playoffs and you figure out, and you know what, our first round game playoff game, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's going to be, I don't know. Maybe we'll be at, maybe it'll be at Minnesota. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll be or, or or Dallas, and you get warm weather slash dome games. I don't I don't know. Or maybe you get in Atlanta, and maybe you look at it and say, you know what? We're not going to have to venture outside. I mean, we can we're gonna have we're going to be facing warm weather teams, and we can just chuck the ball. But you know, there, there's a chance I suppose that Green Bay catches fire here, and you know, gets a home game in the playoffs or whatever. You've got to be able to win those cold weather games. And, and to that, that's why you need to be balanced and have a running attack is so your offense doesn't freeze or, or, you know, die in a blizzard. So it'll be interesting to see what this offense chooses to do in December.
but you know we're getting way ahead of ourselves here and, and you know it is what it is right now you're a team with with one running back and that is an undrafted rookie with Don Jackson who's carried I think seven times in two games and, and there's no there's no running game it's going to be spread the field and let Aaron Rodgers win the game and we'll see if they can make some hay out of this not only on Sunday against the Colts but against, against some better teams and that takes us to fourth down and some questions I'm going to field from you that you sent in on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter and uh, ask away all the time. My Twitter handle is at PackerReport. You can contact me via email at PackWriter2002 at Yahoo.com. Although I will tell you, I am bad at answering email. I get so much email, whether it's stuff from the team or or uh, sources on stuff or you know, imp- you know, know, from my employers or whatever. I'm bad at answering email, but I do do my best. And Pack Report members, there is the uh, members-only forum where I put in a couple exclusive stories every week, and you can always contact me on there, and I try to get to those questions every day, too. So anyway, on to the Twitter questions. An appropriate one based on my peanut butter cup comment. Trick or treat, says Zachary. God, give me treat every single day of the week. Give me treats. And I don't want crappy treats. I like, I'm like. i a big chocolate guy. You know, the peanut butter cups. The Kit Kats, my wife is all about the dark chocolate mounds. Um, my poor kids will not have any dark chocolate mounds, and I think they'll survive without them. The David wants to know, where does the secondary go from here? I don't think they go anywhere from here. You know, If they were going to add a cornerback, I think they would have done that already. I mean, they, at, A few weeks ago, they signed Robertson Dino to the practice squad. I mean, he spent the week in their practice squad, and, and they got rid of him right away. And they, they weren't any better off at the time, or they weren't much better off at the time than they are now. So if, if Green Bay's gone this long with Ladarius Gunter, Dimitri Goodson, and Micah Hyde as your top three, and Josh Hawkins, the undrafted rookie, as your number four, I assume that's what they're going to do going forward because at some point you're going to get Quentin Rollins back and, and Randall back as well. And that leads right into this question by Herman Wells. At what point do you give the UDFAs, that'd be undrafted free agents, more opportunities because Goodson clearly is not the answer? That's a good question. Um... The only UDFA who can play corner is the aforementioned Josh Hawkins. The last time we saw Josh Hawkins was week three against Detroit, as I like to call him, because that's what Mike McCarthy calls him. And he played at the end of that first half in a two-minute drill, and and Matthew Stafford threw a pass to Marvin Jones, which he caught against Hawkins. Hawkins missed a tackle, and Jones goes and scores a touchdown. So based on that, could you do worse than Goodson? I suppose. I mean, <laughs> at least Goodson was in position on that touchdown against the Falcons. That was just a bad play by Hawkins. But, I mean, you're right. Goodson has not played very well, and he would not, if not for the injuries, he'd be only a special teams guy or maybe not on the team, and he's forced to play a lot of snaps that he wouldn't be playing otherwise. But, we're, you know, I don't know. You know, and I, don't, I don't get to watch enough of practice to know, and we didn't get to talk to... Uh, We'll talk to the defensive coaches. We don't talk to those guys until not this Thursday, but next Thursday. So I don't have a feel for how Hawkins is developing and maybe just have to go with Goodson because he's the lesser of two evils at this point. When I uh, asked for these questions, Jay Laudy asked, he didn't even know I had a podcast. Well, you do now. So listen, darn it. (laughs) Uh, He wanted to know, uh, was Nile Davis dropped for a trade or another roster move? Again, I don't know. I, I did some digging last night after trick-or-treat, and I, I didn't get anywhere other than figuring out that I don't think Starks is going to be the answer. 
You know, since we're talking about trades here, I did get a few comments earlier today about can the Packers trade for uh, Joe Hayden from the Browns? Um, apparently, he's in the trade block, and Hayden used to be a top shelf corner. He's played, gosh, ten games last year and a half. So there's there's some injury concerns there, and there's money. The money is the issue here. If you're if you're going to go out and get a, a high price guy, um, Hayden's base salary this year is ten million dollars. So you'd get what's left of that for your cap. So I mean, you're talking about seven or eight million, or six or seven million. That goes on this year's cap. That that would count on, on Green Bay's cap. Green Bay is thirteen million under the cap, so that that eats up a lot of that. And so, in theory, yeah, you could you could take Joe Hayden if, you, if you'd like to. But it really look all these roster moves they got to do when they you know sign guys or you know uh, promote practice. I mean, all all those guys just kind of chip away at that at that salary cap space. So you know, when you're a beat up team, you've you've got to keep some money aside for for future transactions, and I think ultimately maybe you would like to save some money to maybe extend Nick Perry. So that's the the dilemma that that Ted Thompson's got here. Do you do you go out and make a really bold move, which of course is not his deal, or do you save that cap space to extend guys you know, like like Nick Perry? Um, I don't know. It's it's a great question and. If you're Thompson, you say, you know, we're, let's go all in here and, and make a bold move. You know, at least Hayden's under contract. I mean, it's not like, you know, the Browns traded for, uh, I mean, that trade with, with the Patriots yesterday for, for the linebacker Collins with no guarantee they're going to keep him. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. I, I You know, at least if, if you were to make a deal for Joe Hayden, at least there's a guarantee that he's back. So the, at least you got that going for it. But there's... There, if if you make that move, can you then are you going to end up risking losing somebody that you want to keep from your own roster? And that is always the delicate balancing act when you're a team like the Packers with a limited amount of salary cap space. Um, from Barry, how many weeks do you think Jared Cook is away before suiting up? Um, you know, talking to talking to McCarthy, he was sort of pretty optimistic about him, but wasn't sure about Cook practicing this week. You know, maybe a week or two. I mean, we're this is he's. Been out for five weeks now, and this is a kind of a six to eight week deal. The longer Green Bay hangs around here and is in good position for the playoff race, I would think the less pressure there is to get him back. But they need something from the tight ends. I mean, Richard Rodgers, I mean, barely played, and which is part of the, you know, you're going to spread the field and try to win with athleticism thing. And maybe Rodgers isn't a, isn't a great fit for that. But. I mean, they're getting absolutely nothing from the tight end spot right now, and, and Cook could really be a big difference maker. And the fact that he could be a big difference maker makes you think, you know what, just get the guy fully healthy. So I, I don't think it's too much longer. I, I would be a bit surprised, again, just based on Mike McCarthy's comments, if Cook is going to play at least this week. From David Kern, in honor of Halloween, which NFC North player most scares you? Oh, God, that's Matthew Stafford by a mile. You know, Packers had some success against him. Well, actually, a lot of success against him. But the Lions are 4-4. Four four. All four of their wins have come on, on fourth-quarter comebacks. He is he is a scary guy when the game is late. And you, you contrast that with, with Green Bay's um, consistent late-game failures. You know, the Lions are surging, and, and, and the Vikings are fading. And you wonder, maybe it's, maybe it's going to be... A three-team race here between Green Bay, Minnesota, and and Detroit here for the NFC North title, and 
Boy, Stafford, the way Stafford plays at crunch time, I, I think that he is the X factor in this division race. He is, he is, he's always been a really good quarterback, but there's always been something missing there. You know, whether it's interceptions or whatnot, I, I think in a way, not having Kelvin Johnson has helped him to diversify this attack, and, and he has been captain crunch time this year. Uh, my good friend Jacob Wessendorf wants to know, should MM scrap anything that resembles, quote, traditional run sets or a, quote, traditional run game? Well, I think he has. <laughs> I mean, when you've got Devontae Adams lining up at running back a lot, I think you probably have. Um, you're, he, I guess he did go some two running back sets with uh, fullback Aaron Rivkowski and, and, the, and either Niall Davis or Don Jackson running back. At some point, you have to at least line up and pretend you're going to run the ball. And, and, and you have to run the ball to some extent. But, gosh, you know what? I remember a game in 2000, maybe it was 2010. Or was a couple, yeah, maybe it was 2011, where the Packers running backs were wiped out by injury, and John Kuhn ended up running off the clock against the Lions. Gosh, gosh Aaron Rupkowski <laughs> looked like a darn good, and you know, he looked like a a younger John Kuhn at the end of that game. And you know, gosh, he hate, as unbelievable as it sounds, maybe Aaron Rupkowski is going to be the closest thing to a running game as this team needs to at least keep keep teams on. You know, you know what? Like Kuhn, I mean, he is your trusted pass protector. And if you if you need to protect the quarterback, I mean, who are you going to protect? I mean, who are you going to trust? Are you going to pr- trust um, Don Jackson, who's a bit undersized and has been here for seven or eight weeks? Or are you going to trust Aaron Rupkowski, who's a big guy, um, who knows the scheme at least pretty well? I mean, he's in year two here. And as you know what, he's showing that he can make some plays with the ball in his hands. I, I might go Ripkowski is my single back as, as much as I can. That's uh, strange as that sounds, but that's kind of, the st- <laughs> kind of the state of the ship here right now, isn't it? And finally, the last one is from a, a bunch of you want to know if the Packers are going to sign C.J. Spiller after this. I don't know. Um, I would say no. Look. There's a reason why the Seahawks just cut the guy too. They, they, the Saints cut him this year, and the and the Seahawks have cut him. So he's basically been cut twice in in a span of a month or so. If you're getting cut by teams, there's a reason for that. And I just at this point, I'm assuming that C.J. Spiller is just not just look. You, yeah, I run into this all the time. Just you you can't pretend that a guy is. Um, the same player that he was, if that makes any sense. I mean, C.J. Spiller had a really good year three years ago, but that was three years ago, and it's the same thing a couple weeks ago when people asking me about signing Antonio Cromartie and Brandon Bronner. Those guys are really good players, but just because you were a good player doesn't mean that you are a good player, and, and there's a reason why. There's a reason why you're a free agent, you know, and especially so in the corners. I mean, I look at. You know, Cromartie, he he spent some training camp with the Colts. The Colts' pass defense is absolutely horrendous. And he got cut by the Colts. So if you can't make the Colts, I mean, hell, you're not going to help these guys here, are you? So, you know, I Spiller didn't get many opportunities um, with the Seahawks. I certainly didn't watch them, as I tell you guys all the time. I have time for the Packers. I watch the Packers. I don't have time to watch anybody else. So I don't I don't know what Spiller did in his in his limited carries if he was just god awful or or what. But if you've been cut by a Seattle team who's your number one running back um, entering the year is is still injured, 
I just don't think you're a good running back. And I, I assume that's the point with Spiller at this point. He's he's not who he was. And is he better than the guys they have here right now? Well, I suppose, but I don't, I don't know. If, if you're confident you're going to get, you can win games this way and James Starks doesn't come back and he's not washed up, I suppose. You just go with what you got and and hope that's good enough. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org catalyst.